0: Lauren Dukeman, and I'm one of the hosts of the Compel Podcast. On our fourth episode, we are thrilled to have with us Odie Goddard, a church planter in Paraguay. She is going to share with us how her family have ministered together and how they have used God's Word to disciple others. So welcome to the Compel Podcast, How Ordinary Women Spread the Gospel Story.
1: furlough right now, or what we call home assignment. And um, just tell a little bit about yourselves and how you got involved in Ethnos
2: Canada. Well, my name is Odie Goddard, and I grew up in a mission field. I grew up in Senegal, West Africa. And when I was 12 years old, we moved to Canada. So uh, went to school in the Canadian school system, had a hard time adjusting because it was pretty different from growing up in Africa, and um, but I got to really want to reach out to my friends with the gospel, even at a young age, and um, got really excited about that. And the Lord kept me on the path of going into schooling so that I could get trained as a missionary, and then that's where I met my husband. Then we decided to go to Paraguay, South America.
1: Oh, I'm glad you clarified that because sometimes people don't know where these countries are. And so <laughs> Paraguay, South America. Okay. And how long have you been serving there in Paraguay? So we've been there for 26 years.
2: Yeah. And I'm assuming that you've raised your kids over there as well. Yes. Yeah, so uh, when we went there, uh, I had a three-month-old. Uh, my oldest, Anthony, was only three months. And then two of my my other two were born there. And so we have three boys. So how was that experience having children over in Paraguay overseas? Well, we really loved it. Um, it was, a thing where we really felt like it was an opportunity to give our kids and our family an exposure to a life that was, um, would be very impactful for them for the rest of their lives. And they could see things that, um, normal Canadians or Americans might not see and experience of that. And we didn't want to prevent them from experiencing life to the fullest and also give them a passion for, um, seeing, uh, lost souls come to Christ. And so we really were so thankful that they could have that firsthand experience with us.
1: I love that. And, um, I actually had one child overseas as well, um, my experience was okay. It wasn't the best, but how was your experience of having kids in a hospital in Paraguay?
2: Well, when I first, um, the one, the first one that I had in a hospital, I didn't know the language very well. Oh, that's and, rough. <laughs> yes. So I had a C-section and um, I had to try to communicate and that was really difficult. Um, I was learning, I was in the middle of my second language Um, on the field of learning and so it was difficult for me and I had to communicate in that language which um, in the Paraguayan society um, upper class people mostly spoke Spanish and not Guarani the language that I was learning and so um, but they loved it even in the operating room they kept saying this lady speaks Guarani and she doesn't speak Spanish very well so um, it was kind of a fun thing to hear them talking about me when I was, I was, um, just oh, had the, um, epidural. And so then I could hear all the conversation that was going on in the operating room. Yeah. And you know exactly me. what they were saying. Yes. Yeah.
1: Oh, oh man.
2: But it was really fun to, um, to learn language and, um, know a language that they didn't expect me to know. Um, with because of mm. me being an that American gave, or Canadian. That gave you an advantage yes, for sure. Yes.
1: Yeah. But ba- kind of back to the languages. So you grew up in Senegal. So I'm guessing that you spoke French there. Yes. And then from there, you moved with your husband to Paraguay and needed to learn Spanish. Yes. And a tribal language. Yeah. So you speak four languages. Four, yeah.
2: Tell us what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can get confusing. You have to kind of put um, one language uh, in the back of your mind, so you can learn another one, and it's easy to get. Um, at first, when I first was learning Spanish, um, because it's similar to French, and some I would get confused and and use the wrong hmm. word for she and he. It was very confusing, but people would just laugh at me. And um, now I can't remember French real well because Spanish I've had to put in the forefront, and so exactly, yeah.
1: and so moving into a tribal location. Mm -hmm. You began your language study. What did that look like with young children and learning? Did you have a
2: a language helper or how did that work? Okay, well, at first, we the first place that we lived was where Mark's aunt and uncle lived. And so I would listen to tapes. The Peace Corps had done some tapes of um, how you learn Guarani because they have Peace Corps workers that are trying to learn that language. So I would listen and um, I would just uh, go to Mark's aunt's porch and listen to them speak it because it was an area that we had to travel quite or walk quite a ways to go to uh villager's home. And so I had to go wherever people were talking. So in the day I would spend a lot of time, but my little boy was only a little over a year. So I would have the headphones on and be washing uh, his diapers by hand or um, doing physical work while I had the headphones on. So that's how, and then another thing that I did was um, I would sell used clothes because people would come to buy them. And so I learned phrases of how to say things. And this one time I had this box of clothes and these people had come and they would come um, with their horses to uh, my house so that they could play soccer, and then they would buy used clothes. So they put all their horses in our yard, and it would just let them roam free to eat the grass. So I was selling the clothes, and I looked towards my house, and there was a horse in my house eating the cat food. Oh, my goodness. And I didn't know what to do, <laughs> and um, so I'm motioning and waving and trying to do a horse um noise oh my to let them know what was going on and um, it was really funny they just kept laughing at me and finally a young boy got in there and got the horse out without it breaking any windows oh man just all part of language learning
0: okay Odie so you said you were in Paraguay for 26 years or so what have some of your roles in your ministry been how have they have changed depending on the life stage you were in
2: One of the places that we worked, I was, first of all, just learning the language. And then um, they put me in, the bookkeeper went on furlough. So I had to do some bookkeeping, which I wasn't very skilled at. And then um, later on, there was a place that they needed me to be working in a clinic. So I worked in a clinic for four years and ran the clinic. And so I had, I went to um, school when I was on furlough. I went to be an EMT so I could, it would help me um, with that. And that was quite a challenge because I had uh, young, very young children. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't want them around the sicknesses. And there was uh, epidemics mm-hmm. of mumps and oh chicken goodness. pox and really bad diseases that were going through the village. And I didn't want my kids to get sick. There was tuberculosis, a lot of that, those cases. So I I had a lady that I was, she would do my laundry and then she would take care of my boys a little bit. At the, um, she would usually just sit right by the clinic and take care of them while I would, take care of sick people. But it was very challenging for me to balance because my boys missed me. They really needed my help. But they also rose to the occasion. My son, Anthony, he would get like the table set and he would do chores and he would even bathe his brothers and stuff and get That's them all ready. Really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so it was very cool. And then um, we went to a different place where I had to learn the language from scratch again. And we started studying Sanapaná. And that's totally different language. So then I had to balance between teaching them, homeschooling them, and um, learning the language. That was really difficult. And then now we're in a role of my kids are all homeschooled and they're all grown up. And now I'm doing Christian ladies' ministries and and kids' ministries. And we're doing um, ministries of discipling couples. And I do a lot of uh, helping my husband when he's doing the teaching and we also do suppers and things like that. So I help with cooking. I just do a lot of, I'm even working with puppets and a lot of different things right now, helping in ministry and helping train people to do ministry.
0: So in your time in Paraguay, you haven't just worked in one people group. You've worked in several. Can you share just briefly about
2: the three and okay. that journey? Okay, so I, um, we worked with uh, the Angaité and the Angaite live along the river. They have their own language, Angaite, but we never learned that. We were learning Guarani, and um, now they're speaking Spanish more because of the um, they want to be more educated. Mm-hmm. And so, but mostly Spanish and Guarani is what they're speaking mostly. It's just very old people that will speak Angaite. Then um, Sanapaná is a totally different language. It's uh, part of the Angaite lang- uh, language group. But it was really hard for us. We learned a few words, a um, few phrases, but not very much. But then now we speak mostly Guarani.
0: Um, can you say a verse from Guarani for us, just to give us example of maybe one of the verses that the kids or the moms or the women memorize
2: in the Bible memory program? Okay, the first verse that every kid or <clears throat> adult that wants to go through the the Chronological Bible Memory Program, it's um, Genesis 1-1. And so it goes like this. Wow,
0: this lady's very talented. Yeah. <laughs> so did you ever feel like, did you find the perfect balance being a mom and in ministry? Or is that a
2: thing? I don't think there's a perfect balance, but... Um, I think it's constantly a thing where you have to go before the Lord and say, God, what are your priorities for my life at this stage of my life? And when my children were young, I had to come to a point where I had to realize that they were my primary mission field and and ministry focus. And um, the people would always be there. And so I had to put put them as my priority. And I remember reading a story one time, by this Christian author that said that her son had come to her, and here she was so busy discipling other women, and he said, "Would you please disciple me?" Um, so I really felt like that's what—that my children were my first disciples. So I really took time uh, to start myself growing in the Lord, so that I could in turn disciple them. And I have a really neat story about that. Um, my son, we had our generators stolen off our porch and my son was very um, he had a tendency to worry and be really fretting all the time about things so we memorized be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto god so every time he would get worried about something i would say anthony um, be anxious for nothing and um, so my husband went out to look for the motor the generator and they said it was reported that it was found in along the riverbank somewhere in some bushes and stuff. And we, I was really kind of fretting about it because I was afraid that um, maybe the man would take him off. There was a man that said he found it, but we thought maybe robbed my de- my husband or um. You just didn't know. We didn't know what the unknown was of why he he would go off and just tell us where it was. And uh, so Anthony goes, Mom, remember the verse. Be anxious for nothing. And so we just right then I said, yes, you're right, son. And we just right there prayed and God answered and and helped us to find that. That's really cool.
0: You mentioned um, what we've talked before, but you mentioned how you guys as a family decided to minister as a family. Can you share a little bit more about that?
2: Okay. So growing up on the mission field in Africa, my parents sent us to a boarding school and so one of the reasons we met, uh, we picked Paraguay was so that I could homeschool them. And so um, even from when the boys were really little, if we would go to a class, they would sit in the class with us, and I would give them little toys that they would bring with them, and they'd play with their friends, and um, they'd be quiet so that we could teach, and they were just kind of apart. And then um, they just got used to that mom and dad were teaching, but they were right there with us. Then as they got a little older... We had them like do soccer with the kids, or um, uh, serve the Paraguayan tea with us. Um, they would just do things like that. And then, as they got even older than that, and the tribe that we moved into now, we d- did kids club. And so we, the boys were able to do, they were musical. So they were playing harmonica, whatever things that they could do to participate, we would have them do, or even taking attendance or things like that where they felt a part. And then as they got a little bit better in the language, we would even call on them to read portions of scripture. And so they really felt like they were a part of the class and a part of our work. I love that perspective because I think there's,
1: a misunderstanding maybe in missions that, you know, a family goes overseas and the people that they go to reach are the priority. And and I'm not trying to downplay the fact that they need to hear the gospel, but you're bringing your children, your family over and you made it a priority to tell them first, hmm. to to teach them the gospel. And then it it wasn't like you weren't involved in, um, the people's lives in Paraguay. You were, but they were your priority first. And then as they worked with you and, and like you said, sat with you guys and went with you, they saw Christ in you. Mm -hmm. They saw the need of the gospel of the people around them. And I think like, that's just so powerful to me. And I, I, I get really excited when I hear missionaries give that testimony because, I mean, tragically, we do have the other side of the story mm-hmm. where um, missionaries do send their, you know, kids away. and it's just what they had to do at that time. And I'm not downplaying that at all mm-hmm. or or it's making it sound like it's a bad thing, but you you made the choice to have your family involved in. And I'm sure you're reaping the benefits of your kids homeschooling and, and being there right with you and them being your priority. So I don't know. I'm just really encouraged to hear that. And yeah,
2: yeah, I have a story kind of to share Um, my son when he was little uh, and I was working in the clinic still, I had to take my kids with me a lot of times even when um, people were sick and dying. So this one time, Everybody was gathered by um, this little boy that was dying and um, his mother was holding him in her arms and here I had treated him and I knew he was gonna die. The grandparents were sitting by their daughter. The This other man was talking to the whole group of people and it was, but Anthony was sitting there just taking it all in. And all of a sudden the baby breathes its last breath and, um, as soon as the mother felt the baby's dying in her arms, the grandmother started hitting her daughter. And I was sitting right beside the lady and Anthony was kind of shook like, why is she getting mad at And she he thought I was gonna get hit.
1: How old was he at the time?
2: And he was probably four or five years old. And so he's taking this all in and he's seeing the grief and the despair that they had and the no, that they had no hope. And he's like, mom, what's going on? What's going on? And um, afterwards, I was explaining to him, you know, these people need to hear the gospel. They need to know Jesus so that they can have hope and they can share it with their family. And because they don't have hope, they're blaming the death on somebody else. And um, he had such a heart for them, wanting wanting them to know the Lord as a result of his first hand experience of being with me in that whole situation. Wow
1: really good um so kind of along those lines just talking about like their worldview of this woman (laughs) hitting her daughter Mm -hmm. I mean we would look at that and and that just doesn't even make sense like we would try to console not hit so how have you um the years that you've been in Paraguay like combated false doctrine and and how have you guys
2: like worked through that with the people there. Okay, well, it has been really frustrating because we have been very faithful to teach chronologically through the Bible and teaching God's Word, but it seems like people are waiting on the sidelines as soon as there's a new believer that's vulnerable, they want to come in and they say, Oh, but you're missing out on something and you don't know the whole thing. So Mark and I have decided that we would, we take the word of God and we're, when we're sharing the chronological Bible teaching, we are reading actual verses so they see there's a dependency on something that is unchanging and that is truth. And this is where we're getting it from. It's not our own imagination. It's not our own thoughts. And so um, then I started a Bible memory program that started teaching um, them the, the scriptural truths of the fundamental things that they um, were learning. And as they're learning this, then they would see it in the Bible and they'd see, oh, wow, this is, it says it, this is what it says. And um, they saw that we were standing on it. It was something that was unchanging. It was always something we would go back to. And so that's how we would combat it. And then when people started introducing things that weren't true to them, God's word kept, repeating in their mind what and they'd say no no that's not what that's not what the bible says so even children that were learning in the beginning god created the heaven and the earth they learned that verse and then um, they go to school and their teacher says well tell us from your culture or who made the world and um, they said wasn't it the spirits and it wasn't it this god and they say no in the beginning god created the heaven and the earth and they say where'd you get that from oh Well, the Bible says that, that we, and so we had to have a point of reference for them that they could always go back to. And even in um, Psalm 119, it talks about that, that God's word makes us wiser than our teachers and are wiser than those that are over us. And um, it, the entrance of thy word giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. And so we thought, we told them, you know, you can be wiser than other people around you by you knowing the word of God, and so that's the the tools that we we keep handing out to them and saying, does it match up with the Bible?
1: And when you think about it, once once you're done teaching and you move back to Canada, and they're left there, what do they have left? They have God's word, right, to be um,
2: to be there with them, right? So, yeah, and they know that it won't fail them; it's it's there and um, it's just freeing. We have seen um, people that got so confused by false teaching and things that were going on and, and they were being taught law and they were being actually put in condemnation of things that they were doing, saying, oh, you're not going to go to heaven, and get, making them very fearful. And then when we shared the gospel or again and made it clear to them and showed what this is, what the Bible says. They'd say, oh, this gives me so much joy. It gives me so much freedom. I can't even not be quiet now. I have to share this. This is what the Bible says. And and it was kind of like, it just um, took the chains off of them.
0: So you mentioned that you have a Bible memory program. How did What led you to create that? Was it the false doctrine that you were seeing? And um, how has it impacted these different people groups you've worked in?
2: Okay, the Bible memory program started because um, they said, Someone had said to us, "It takes about three times going through the chronological Bible teaching before people really understand it and get it, and come to know the Lord." And um, I turned to my husband and I said, "Why is that? They need to have um, it good the first time, so that they grasp it right away, and um, so we don't have to do so much teaching." And so I, uh, we were just starting out with teaching the kids chronologically through the Bible. The at a kids club and uh, for the Piney kids. So we had taught um, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And I said, OK, to, by next week, I want you to know that verse and I'll give you a candy. And so all the kids wanted a candy and they all memorized it and said it. And then they said, we want more. Mm-hmm. So each um, time, not every lesson, but every few lessons, I was giving them a verse. And then um, I decided every four or five verses, I would give them a little prize. So after they said 25 verses, um, I thought, man, it would be good if they reviewed the verses because a lot of times people can memorize in short-term memory and not remember it. Right. And yeah. so they reviewed the verses and then I said a few... So they, after they said all the 25 verses to me, then they got a little flashlight. Which is very important in Paraguay because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it gets very dark. Yeah. And I also um, eventually... Uh, They just kept asking for more and more verses and every five verses they would get like a little prize of a pen and a pencil or um, a notebook for school or little barrettes for their hair or something like that. Well, then the ladies um, started saying to me, I want to memorize scripture too. I don't, my kids, and they were already helping their children memorize scripture. There was often many kids that didn't even read that were saying verses to me. And um, some of them, one little boy um, he said 75 verses and he didn't know how to read. Wow. So that's how the kid, the parents got really involved and even their older siblings got really involved in helping their brothers and sisters learn verses. Mm-hmm. And um, the teacher in school started telling me it was helping them want to learn to read and it was giving them motivation to mm-hmm. read. And um, then she told me later on that their kids, her kids... That had been in the Bible memory program and here, this is a secular school. She says they are better with performing their things for school than anybody else. Wow. And, um, so it was just incredible. Then we started realizing that God's word was changing the way that they were thinking. And one time I was in a conversation with a woman and she said, she was telling me about the people that had come in with false doctrine and they were putting all these rules on them, but they weren't even following them themselves. And this little girl who was just about seven years old, she's sitting it just listening to us talk. And she says, it's like the Bible says, they draw nigh unto me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And Whoa. she quoted scripture. And I was just in shock. And I said, that's exactly what wow. it's like. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. Yeah. yeah. So um, then we had women that were... Um, Uh, that wouldn't come to church because they were embarrassed because they had alcoholic um, husbands or just terrible home lives, but they would come and ask me for scripture. Mm. And so they started memorizing whole chapters of Psalms and Proverbs and Matthew and um, James. And they said, man, all these verses are helping me to know how I am supposed to treat my husband, how I'm supposed to live as a um, woman and how am I supposed to tra- um, train up my children in the way that they should go? And um, they said, keep giving me more. And it helped them so much. And their husbands, some of them were unbelieving husbands. They say, what are you doing? And they said, we're memorizing scripture. And they saw a change in mm-hmm. their their um, wives' hearts. And then they wanted to hear the word of God because of res- as a result of that. Wow.
1: And just to clarify, that's not in Spanish. No. That is in their own tribal tongue. Yeah. So it meant even
2: more to them. Yeah. And then the other thing that was really amazing was there were some villages that um they uh, do not want the gospel in there. But because of the Bible memory program, the gospel was getting in and um they couldn't stop it. And so uh when they were doing the Bible memory verses that were with the chronological Bible teaching, I would give them a chronological book to read so that they would understand the message that they were memorizing. So even some to this day, there's one girl that her parents are totally against hearing the gospel, even though they had heard it before. But now they've turned against the gospel. Now she really wants to hear it, and she's married a believer. And uh, it's just amazing how God is—he's finding ways to get the gospel in, no matter how much the enemy's trying to keep it out. So you've been, um,
1: Odie, you've been working a lot with the women in the, in the tribe. Mm-hmm. And you've built these relationships. Um, they've, they've watched you go through the process of language learning, raising your kids. Why is it important for women to disciple women?
2: Women have, um, where we are, they uh, have such a, a passion for life. They're the ones that are keepers at home. They're the ones that a lot of times there's problems in the village and they're, they're involved in the problems, either making the problems or solving the problems. And um, yeah. so we're seeing that they get really excited about the gospel and they want to be involved in outreach. They care for one another. Well, women are very emotional people. Then they, um, So when the gospel changes them, they have uh, such a heart to see their families come to know the Lord. They, they are the ones, um, a lot of times, that will have the vision of taking it to other places. They have a hard life. Uh, one lady, um, her husband um, had burned the house down seven times because um, of his addictions, and he just would go crazy with um, not even knowing what he's doing. But um, she is praying for her husband and her perseverance and sticking with him because she's a believer is just such an example to all the believers around of persevering Mm -hmm. in the midst of hardship. So we're seeing that um, the women often, they can get into situations. Sometimes they intermarry with the national people and God's been able to use His word to get into the national community because of that. It's just been really neat. Sometimes they aren't recognized as valuable, but all of a sudden they start making a valuable contribution to society because their lives are transformed. And so, a lot of the women that I'm discipling and that I'm involved in are the gift. They're really gifted in um, taking care of people. Um, one lady is a she works in the medical. She's just a healthcare worker, but she, and so she goes to people's homes and she's, she is at the thick of uh, the problems, but she's speaking truth and life to them. And even to unbelievers, she'll say, you need to hear the word of God, because that's the only way you're going to be able to get along with your spouse. Or that's the only way you're going to have, you know, victory. So then there's others that they get in the school system and they have a real input into their what is being taught to their children, they really want that. And so we're seeing as we are discipling these women, they have a voice that they never knew that they had before. And we're giving them that through the power of the word of God, and it's giving them courage and boldness and bluntness. I love that. And I think
1: there, there's something about saying it again, these women have had a hard life. Yeah. And to even hear that story of, Um, this man who's burnt his house down seven times. And um, I'm just thinking of the patience and perseverance of this woman having to put up with that. And um, life is hard for them. Like Paraguay is hot. Mm -hmm. It's dry. Um, You were mentioning even having to um, hand wash your kids diapers. I mean, it's just It's just hard life. Mm -hmm. They don't have automatic washer machines. They don't, you know, have a store to go to um, just down the road. Like, life Mm -hmm. is hard for them. And so even just physically, and then you put on this, all this other stuff. And um, that's just really encouraging that you're investing in them and that you're seeing maybe even leaders come out of that and um, things that maybe you don't notice are in need. And they're like, Oh, Odie, you should maybe go talk to this person and get involved this way. And they can. It's like you're discipling them, but they're also discipling you.
2: Yes. And that's what's really been cool is um, they are so sensitive to one another's needs. And so as they're walking with the Lord, um, they've even been reaching out to me. I've had a lot of health issues they'll say to me, now, Odie, you don't need to cook today. We got a bunch of women together and we're going to do this, you know, and we're going we're gonna to help you and we're going to minister with you. You don't have to do this alone. And they just step right up to the plate, even though they have a full schedule and they have to wash their clothes by hand, like you said, and just living is a lot of work. They don't, they, wood fires, they cook over and have to go get firewood and they have gardens and some of them are pretty poor. Uh, one lady I've recently um, heard, from um, our coworker, that she said she was really, really hungry one night and she had um, vegetables and fruit um, in her fridge, but it wasn't hers. It was somebody else's. They were just storing it in her fridge. And she just thought, I'm going to take some of that because I'm really, really hungry. And uh, it was dark. She couldn't see what she was eating. And she ate into some sort of a tomato or something that was really yucky tasting to her. And she um, said, it was like God was saying, see, it wasn't worth it, was it, you know, to do what's wrong. And, but, um, They, they, they really suffer, but they also, um, they are willing to trust God to meet them and take care of, of their needs that they have. And it's just, it's a living faith that they have. It's just an authentic. And I love it because so many times I can come alongside them. We can pray about things that will be coming to me and saying they have this big burden about their children. One little boy he was about 11 or 12 years old, they Had left home and his mother hadn't heard from him in two or three months. She didn't know where he was. And she was very, very afraid of what had happened to him. And so um, we would pray for him. And I would said, I'm praying for him regularly. And then the little victories of, oh, she heard from somebody that he'd s- seen this boy. And then finally he came back home and she saw God answering her prayers. And so just seeing that living faith for the practical moments of their lives and on the practical provisions and for everything that they they need. So it's been really neat. Mm -hmm. And like missionary
1: work is hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's face it. It's long. It's hard. Um, There's just a lot of setbacks often. But what I'm hearing from you is even though it's hard, there's so much joy and the fruit from your ministry and there's like, there's joy in seeing these women, like, come to Christ and and teach their kids. And it's just overwhelming. And um, right now, you're back here in Canada. You're taking a bit of a break, but you're heading back in December at the end of the year. When you think of that, what comes across? Like, what what's in your mind? Like, are you excited is there something that you're really looking forward to has it been a good time of reflection for you
2: how has your home assignment been uh, well it's been mixed emotions because we left a thriving ministry in Paraguay and then just wondering how my friends are doing back there but also getting really involved in lives here then saying goodbye to my grown sons and they're they're going off to do their own their own, where God is guiding them to do. And so there's mixed emotions because I'm thinking, okay, I'm no longer a homeschool mom, but there's a lot of children that I can love back in Paraguay. And what is God going to put in my path next? And, and how can I be evolved in um, caring for people and loving them and, and being a spiritual mother to many, many more people that God puts in my path. So one lady, she's older than I am, but right before I left, she was so um, upset that I was leaving because she said, you are my spiritual mom and uh, I've learned so much about walking with God from you. And so I'm looking forward to seeing her again. And um, and that's the thing. It's just my heart. I feel God's pleasure when I'm with those women and just seeing them um, growing and thriving in their faith and just getting victorious Results from a faith of undaunting courage and undaunting trust in their Creator.
1: Mm. So it's a bit, it's definitely bittersweet leaving your kids behind and then um, going back to Paraguay, but then there's that joy, like you said. That's so exciting. I just love that. All right. So I'd like to ask you one last question, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. We've been talking a lot about the gospel and how it's impacted the people that you're serving there in Paraguay, you've gone to reach them. We've talked a lot about how the gospel impacted your own family, but personally,
2: what, how has the gospel impacted you? Well, the gospel is everything without it. We would not have eternal life without it. We wouldn't have life itself. Jesus is our life. He is the reason that we get up each morning. He is the reason that we, um, have something to offer people that are just in dire conditions. I've seen it just change my own life and change me from a person of great fearfulness, uh, insecure to one that knows I can absolutely trust Christ with all my heart and uh, he will never ever fail me. And I, he has brought us through so many things that have seemed impossible. But I've seen that with God, all things are possible and that he is my all. And so the gospel is everything to me. And I just feel like I can't wait to see Jesus and thank him for dying on the cross and for making all this possible in my life. All this, even my my life of ministry and everything that it's, he's my reason for living. Amen. I love
1: that. So good. And thank you so much for just sitting down with us today and um, just hearing about your ministry and your heart. And again, we're all just so very thankful for how the gospel has impacted us. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening today. I hope you were encouraged to hear Odie's story. I especially love to hear how she made discipling her kids a priority, but also had an incredible ministry to women and other kids in her community. If you'd like to hear more stories like this, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. You can also connect with us on Instagram at compel Podcast. Till next time.